You're listening to Binary. Yes, you are. Welcome to Binary. This is Simon. Uh, The second episode in our two-part series on Bitcoin. So if you didn't hear the first part, you might want to go back and listen to that. But uh, you don't have to. I'm not going to tell you what to do. We're going to kick things off this week with an historically significant song. It's from a Canadian band called 22 Hertz, and the song's called Get the Hell Out. This song is a world first, and I'll tell you why in a moment. What you're listening to is the first song ever to be encoded into the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, I know what you're thinking. What the hell does that mean? So to explain it to us, I called up Rolf Müller, who's the frontman of the band. He really is 22 Hertz. He writes and records all the music himself, which he then performs with a live band. I do everything by myself. That way I have no one to blame. If nothing gets done, I have no one to blame except myself. I love Rolf's story because he quit a job in digital marketing to become a full-time musician, and you have to respect that. He's got fans all over the world, but when things got really interesting is when Rolf discovered Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I, I heard about Bitcoin maybe around 2011. Uh, you know, I, I, I took a quick look at it. I didn't understand it like most people. And uh, after that, I saw a really good documentary called Thrive which really uh, demonstrates how the world really works, you know, which you don't see on mainstream media. So that really, like, uh, from then on, it it basically woke me up, that documentary. And so I had a different attitude now of how the world works and stuff like that. So when, then two years later, uh, roughly, uh, well, about three years ago, two, three years ago, I saw Bitcoin came into the picture again. And I said, what is this? I got to really find out what this is. Because, you know, if, 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 it, if it has something, if it could take power away from the way the world's working now, those few people that control everything, you know, all the better. And I put some time into it and I, you know, I learned how it really works because I do have a programmer analyst degree. So, you know, in terms of programming and stuff like that, I have some knowledge. And then when I finally understood it correctly, I couldn't sleep for a week. Literally, I knew that this would be bigger than the internet eventually, and that's but that's it, you know. And hoping that uh, <clears throat> either Bitcoin or something like that is going to take over. Rolf gives away his music for free at 22hertz.com if you just log in using your Facebook or Google account. He also accepts Bitcoin donations, so it's a way for the band to make money. And he has political reasons for liking Bitcoin. Well, you know, anything to destroy the federal banking system, right? <laughs> sure, why not? But Rolf also values copyright, and it was the copywriting of his music where he saw a massive opportunity for Bitcoin to play a role. Well, it's just it's just a, you know another way of saying that you thought of this at a certain date. You thought of this melody. This you know could be lyrics, could be um, a song, could even be a demo of a song that you're going to work on. So it's just another way of proving that on a certain date this existed and it was your work. Uh, you know, in Canada, we have a copyright uh, uh, office and it costs $50 to copyright 
a song and you know uh, I did all that for the first album it's like $50 a song and then all they mail you is like a certificate with like the title on it so how if, if you know someone else would come out with let's say this I don't know same lyrics or same melody or whatever you know I don't know how I would prove <laughs> that I thought of that first, that's my stuff, you know, that's my material uh, in court. I don't know how that would work with a certificate like that, I, because the only thing you get, like I said, is the title on there. So, you know, with uh, the, the blockchain method, with Bitcoin, I can go to court, prove that this song, with the hash of the song, is the same hash that's in the blockchain at this date, which... 100% proves that at the time that it was entered in the blockchain, that existed and that it was, you know, my, well, the material that I'm, pro let's say I would be proving in court. Now, that's a really big idea. It means that everything human beings do, whether it's creative work or intellectual property or our financial transactions, the blockchain becomes the de facto record of all of our activity. And that's why some people think it's going to be bigger than the internet itself. So maybe you're an author or a musician and you're thinking that you'd like to get your work encoded onto the blockchain. Well, Rolf says it's not that difficult. The procedure itself is very easy, but to get started and to actually go in the direction of actually doing it is a little bit, you know, it's, it's still a little bit tricky. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of be determined, <laughs> a little bit determined. Uh, I only knew of it because it was a, a, a book, uh, um, an e-book that got copyright into the um, blockchain like three, four months ago I read about this. And I didn't even understand how that worked. Even though I understood how Bitcoin works, I didn't understand how that works. So with a little bit of reading, I found out that, okay, can't be that hard. You know, put time in, put, I put some time into it. And... Um, found that it was kind of, you know, easy to do. But if, if you, you know, if for, for a band that doesn't know anything about Bitcoin to do that, it's a, it's a little bit daunting, but it's really easy, to be honest with you. Uh, you, know, you know, like everything in the Bitcoin world, uh, as time progresses, things are going to get easier and easier. Big thanks to Rolf Mueller for chatting to us on Binary. Check out his website at 22hertz.com where you can hear more of his music, sending Bitcoin tips and get merchandise. Oh, and if you were enjoying that song, we'll play the full unabridged version right at the end of the show. Sounds great, Simon. Bye-bye. Hey, a quick thank you to everybody who signed up to our Patreon campaign. That's kind of how we keep Binary going without any advertising. And we are super grateful to everybody who signed up for the campaign so far. This is only the third full-length episode of Binary, so we've only just begun. And if you really want to help the show, another option is to just tell people about it. If everybody listening to this right now told two people they know about Binary, we'd have six listeners. I don't know. It would be way more than we have now, okay? So if you really want to help us out, grab your friend's phone, open their podcast app, and subscribe them to Binary. Maybe you want to tell them about it first. Don't be creepy. Anyway, we appreciate the support. And thanks again for listening. So Bitcoin's all about money right now. But as we heard from Rolf, music is making its way into the mix, so to speak. 
along with lots of other interesting things. One of my favorite examples is assembly.com. I asked the guys from assembly to chat to us and Austin from assembly said he'd love to, but not right now. So perhaps in a future episode, but basically what assembly does is they let you register a company on the blockchain and they issue what's known as colored coins as your company equity. You can then use this to pay other people to help you build things. So maybe software developers or designers, etc. And when your company starts making money, it automatically distributes it through the blockchain. These colored coins you can kind of think of as IOU notes written on Bitcoin. Imagine if you took a penny, which in itself isn't worth very much, but you wrote on the penny, I owe Simon $1,000, then suddenly that penny becomes worth $1,000 to me. That's kind of how colored coins work. We encode other information like Rolf's song or business transactions or intellectual property onto little pieces of Bitcoin. Another way to do this is with side chains, but that's where things get really interesting and somewhat more complicated too. But imagine the future of stock trading, for example, if companies were able to issue their equity on the blockchain and you could just go and buy it directly from them. Maybe you wouldn't even need stockbrokers. So with all of this potential in the blockchain, you can understand why some people think that the blockchain itself is the big deal and that Bitcoin as a currency, well, that might work out, maybe not. Here's the thing though, you don't really get to have the one without the other. The blockchain works because of Bitcoin and vice versa. It's a bit like saying you want ice, but you don't like water. Yeah, um, I, I like your ice and water analogy. I think that's actually quite on point. That's the voice of Ariana Simpson, who used to work at Facebook, but now works at a Bitcoin company called BitGo. The, the best way to think of BitGo is really focused on security. Um, so we have a consumer wallet, which is available for individuals, um, companies, really anybody who wants to hold and transact securely in Bitcoin. Um, and then we also have an API product, which is used by many of the biggest um, exchanges, wallets, um, and other services kind of built on Bitcoin. So BitGo is kind of like a one-stop shop for new Bitcoin companies that need to get their security together and offer wallets to their customers. But Ariana's interest in Bitcoin started long before then when she was still working at Facebook. In fact, she became like the go-to person for cryptocurrency at the company. It kind of became the running joke that uh, I was like the Bitcoin, Bitcoin girl. <laughs> so obviously I had to ask her whether or not Facebook was planning to do anything with Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, I've been gone for almost a year at this point, so, and things tend to move very rapidly there. I mean, even if I knew something, I wouldn't really be at liberty to say, but what I will say is that it's clear that Facebook is taking a definite interest in payments um, in the sense that they just launched um, kind of like a Venmo integration in Messenger and, um, you know, particularly, uh, I think, in WhatsApp. It's just something that makes a whole lot of sense because you have this enormous base of users, um, particularly WhatsApps is very much based in, uh, you know, they have huge user bases in places like India, um, where it would just be very natural to have um, Bitcoin as a form of payment. Um, and it's perfect for very small transactions, which is what I think would comprise the majority of, of this kind of um, you know, financial transaction. So I think it makes perfect sense. So if I had to guess, I would say it's a matter of when rather than if. Um, but again, nothing more specific than that. <laughs> 
It is interesting to imagine the possibilities here though, because for the first time we really have money that's kind of embedded into the internet itself. So if you look at our social networks like Facebook, you can imagine a future where payment becomes something that's completely seamless. Kind of like when you get into an Uber now and get out at your destination, the payment just sort of happens automatically in the background. Well, Bitcoin's an even more efficient way of doing that. And in the future, you can imagine paying for everything from electricity, internet access, other utilities, uh, to your monthly bills and even groceries in a really seamless way. We've been promised this kind of thing before, but it's never really been possible until now. Ariana thinks it'll be some time before we see wide-scale adoption of this kind of system though. But already more and more big companies like Facebook are sitting up and paying attention as well as some traditional financial players like the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq. I was pretty shocked to see that Nasdaq was um, adopting that. I, I think it's really fascinating and it has a lot of promise but frankly I think we're still like quite a few years away from that being like a viable um, mechanism at a broader scale. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm always excited to see this kind of thing being adopted by some of the more um, traditional financial players. Um, I also personally find assurance contracts really, really interesting. I've written about this in the past. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of potential there. Um, Obviously, things like crowdfunding. Um, I'm sure you've seen Lighthouse, Mike Hearn's project. Um, unfortunately, I think Lighthouse is a little bit ahead of its time in the sense that, um, you know, right now, frankly, not enough people have Bitcoin to really make that a very viable um, option. So, you know, again, I think many of these ideas are great, but we're probably like, five years away from large-scale adoption. One of the things that seems to be holding back that large-scale adoption is the volatility of Bitcoin, which is also, you know, one of the criticisms that the naysayers always have is you can't bet on something that's price is all over the place. But the great untold story of Bitcoin at the moment seems to be that the price has been extremely stable for quite some time now. I don't know why more people aren't talking about this, but do you think that that'll contribute to adoption? Do you think that companies that were thinking about Bitcoin but were afraid of the volatility will now reconsider their position? And what do you think will or should be happening with the price of Bitcoin? You know, I think the volatility issue is exactly right. Um, it's been incredibly, the price has been incredibly stable for all of 2015. It's pretty much fluctuated between like 220 and 245. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, the volatility was one of the biggest critiques. And now everyone's like, oh, it's just flat. It's so boring. So, you know, you can never make people happy, apparently. Um, personally, I would be happier if it were stable at like 10,000, um, just <laughs> like <laughs> from a purely self-interested mm. point of view. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah, exactly. But I think ultimately um, the stability is good because, again, um, you know, you can't really build a, a secure financial system on something that is appreciating and depreciating, um, you know, by 40% every couple of days. Um, 
So ultimately, yes, I think it's a good thing. In the short term, there's not a lot of action because obviously who wants to trade on something that's stable? Not very many people. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, deterring a lot of uh, traders or people who are buying for speculative purposes from moving in. Um, I think ultimately we're, we're going to see the price rise again, but I have no idea when that'll happen. Um, and again, it, it really all depends on Bitcoin's ability to prove its use for, um, you know, what is the killer app or what are the killer apps um, that are coming? Because if Bitcoin can nail that, then, you know, if you take Bitcoin as like 1% of the total global financial, um, like, currency markets, I think it would be worth, they would be worth $100,000 each. I did the math at some point. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was, it was like $100,000 a coin, um, which would also be great. I would be very happy. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. I think for the long-term health of the ecosystem, the stability is good. But unfortunately, it, it also means that since the spreads are smaller, there's not as much money to be made in the short term. And that's causing a, a contraction for, um, you know, a lot of companies that were kind of funded and started with the, um, on this upward trend. And then since that's fallen off, it's been really hard for many of the smaller exchanges um, to stay afloat. So, you know, we see some of them, even ones that were funded by very reputable investors and started by very smart founders. Um, you know, Buttercoin recently went south and uh, several others. So it's, it's certainly a challenging moment, but I think that um, the strongest companies will survive and then um, things will eventually pick back up. So you might be listening to this and thinking, well, it's time to check out Bitcoin if you haven't already. Ariana's got some ideas about where you should start. Yeah, I mean, I think Bitcoin.org is definitely a good place to get started just because they have so many languages and they have a good um, sort of impartial overview of number of wallets, um, resources aggregated for people who want to start learning about things. Um, I've actually found YouTube to be very helpful. There's a number of videos that kind of explain um, how it works. But, you know, again, I think nobody has to go and like Google dollars. Everybody just knows, you know? And so I think until the products and services um, that use Bitcoin are that easy and that intuitive, um, it's going to be an uphill battle. So um, ultimately, I think that it's the industry's responsibility to make things simple rather than um, necessarily the consumers need to educate themselves. And um, one thing I'll note is just kind of a, a final thought is that having conversations about Bitcoin, um, especially early on, this I'm talking like two years ago, uh, really demonstrated to me that there's a fundamental lack of knowledge about the banking and financial system in general. Um, so I would try to explain Bitcoin and then I would end up explaining fractional reserve banking and like 17 other things that were related and I was like oh my gosh I thought this was common knowledge apparently not um, and so I think that um, ultimately we operate in those systems without even fully understanding them on a day-to-day -day basis and so it's not necessary for people to understand how Bitcoin works um, in order to use it so that's why I really think the burden is on the industry to make products and services easy enough um, 
so that consumers don't have to know that because ultimately people just want something that's easy um, and that gets whatever they're trying to do done as smoothly um, and cheaply as possible. And so until Bitcoin can offer that, it's unlikely that most people are going to switch over to it. Big thanks to Ariana Simpson for chatting to us on Binary. She tweets at Ariana Simpson. She also has a great newsletter on Bitcoin that she sends out from time to time. So you might want to look into that. Bye. It's early days for Bitcoin and there's just so much happening in this space that we could probably carry on for quite some time. But I think we're going to leave it at that for now. I'm sure it's a topic we're going to return to in future episodes. Something we didn't discuss, for example, is the role of altcoins. Things like Litecoin and Dogecoin and the alternative cryptocurrencies that we're learning are kind of important to the whole ecosystem. Sort of counterintuitively. Anyway, it's been fun looking at the world of Bitcoin. It's something we'll do again. Thanks as always for listening to Binary. Check out our website at binary.fm. And again, you can find me on Patreon if you just search for Simon Dingle or for Binary. So go tell some friends about the show. We'll be back soon with another episode. And now...